Hi, I'm Johnny Pollard, and welcome to episode four of the One Giant Mind podcast. In this episode, I talk with Justine Bloom, who's a mum living in New York City, originally from Australia. She's a marketing strategist and is constantly observing the trends that are influencing society at the moment. And she asks a very interesting question about the emergence of wellness as an industry and what kind of impact I think it's having in the world right now. Is it relevant? It's a great conversation. So let's have a listen. So I feel like at uh, in the current stage that we're at in the world, uh, there's this juxtaposition of everything that's wrong and how um, far we've kind of gone off track. But at the same time, I also feel like there are more yoga teachers, meditation teachers, accessibility and conversation around health and well-being there's more awareness around health and well-being just because of the access to information and and people that are able to teach others. So how does that work? I mean, the juxtaposition of those two things, one should cure the other, but it hasn't. Mm. The way that I see everything is in cycles. There is a linear narrative always taking place which is we go from one state to the next. The situation's either getting better or it's getting worse relative to, you know, what viewpoint you take. If we go to the Middle East, we go, oh, it's definitely getting worse. If we come to, um, you know, Venice, California, we go, oh, it's definitely getting better. (laughs) It's all relative. Um, And for me, I try not to look at the state of the world in any absolute concrete way that is governed by any linear narrative, meaning it's absolutely getting better or it's absolutely getting worse. We human beings are immensely complex. And I have clients that to other people seem like they're getting worse. And then when they come to see me, they are showing sides of themselves that they've never accessed before. And you speak to one person, you go, I can't believe you're working with that horrible, terrible man. (laughs) I've had people say that. Every single one of us has a deeper nature. And my experience of these people, this is a micro example of a, a, a bigger thing that I think you're commenting on. In all of the people that I've encountered that publicly are perceived as being almost evil (laughs) um, to some people, they'd be entirely convinced according to their worldview. The, The qualities and the desire to free themselves in the the process in which I engage with them in uh is so sincere, so deeply touching, and they're so committed. And they're so conflicted. It has revealed to me something so extraordinary about where we're at in the world. I've had the great fortune of being privy to the most intimate internal experiences of people from such broad walks of life. And what I notice as a consistency is the contradiction, the seemingly irreconcilable internal conundrum 
uh, a, a knowingness that I am something good and that there is this other aspect of myself that I don't quite understand whether it is good or not. Sometimes I believe it's really good because it's made me rich or it's given me great power or it's helped me defeat my enemy or it's what is common in it is that there is an attachment to that aspect of our personality because of how it's served us defensively in the world, how it's helped us to survive. There's a fragmentation. Each of us have an internal fragmentation and the extent to which we are attached to that aspect of our personality that is a, a constructed defense mechanism determines the degree to which somebody can free themselves and experience their true self all the time. And it's my perspective that um, we're in this really remarkable transition phase. You know, this, this, this particular cycle I think is going to extend well beyond our lifetimes, our, our grandchildren's lifetimes, whereby humanity is going to become very artful, very discerning in the way in which they inquire about the relevance of their pursuits. Why am I doing this? What I'm observing is that we're, we're watching culture shift into really interesting places that's led by a reprioritization of our values. Why am I doing this? What's the point of all of this? <laughs> and emerging out of that is industry. <laughs> you know, we, we, and, and, and whole new markets. The wellness industry is one of the fastest growing industries in the world right now. And within that are, you know, countless practices and modalities and services that enable people to explore ways by which they can gain greater access to this, this experience that we're talking about. And, you know, on a linear timeline, I would say we're kind of, we're in like maybe grade three or grade four relative to getting to, you know, a PhD or a master's degree. We've still got a long way to go in terms of our s developing sophistication in the way that we as individuals on a moment to moment basis are able to stay with ourselves and constantly be in direct communication with our will, our true self, to discern the highest relevance of every single action. And what I mean by highest relevance is to what extent are my choices right now serving the nurturing of the connection with myself? That is nurturing that awareness of myself to grow that enables me to contribute in such a way that I personally feel like I belong to the world and that through interactions with me, I enable others to have that sense of belonging to something that reflects 
their deepest value system. And this is all we're talking about here, is learning how to live our lives moment to moment, deliberately making choices that are reflective of a value system that is in alignment with our deepest nature. And I've suggested in previous episodes that we all share in a common nature. And I describe that nature as love. And love, in its simplest definition, is our instinct to want to nurture greater connection with ourself, growth and belonging, and then as a natural outcome of that with everything and everyone around us. That's what love is, is the, the instinctive desire to want to nurture connection. When you feel love, what is it? It's this, this impulse in us to want to connect and, and to share in a growth experience. Let's share what we know. And then the outcome of that is, oh, we belong. And what do we call that? Friendship. If there's a, if there's a bunch of them, we call it our friendship group. If there's more, we call it our community. When there's more of that, we call it society. <laughs> but most of us carry a deep disdain for society. Feel like we don't belong to our community. And really struggle with our friendships. And maybe limit ourselves to how many friends we afford ourselves because of how challenging it is. And then when we wake up in the morning, we may even notice when we look in the mirror... Our instinct is to criticize, to judge, to indulge in some kind of loathing, of ineptitude, of and a, a, a reiteration of dissatisfaction with what we behold. This is the greatest ailment of our you know of our human condition. And there is only one remedy for that, and that is self-love. Now, the issue with self-love is that it's not an intellectual thing. You can't think to yourself, I love myself. It doesn't work like that, because <laughs> that's just the idea of the experience. It's not the experience itself. The experience of love is actually accessing a flow of intangible energy that we, we point to in our heart center, like our, in our chest area. And the impulse, the flow of this love, structures a series of coherent insights about the most relevant way to interact with both myself and the external experience simultaneously that harmonizes that reconciles. The nature of love is that it is so intelligent that it can re reconcile that which is seemingly irreconcilable if we're willing to go there. What stops us from experiencing this power of love is our resistance to actually letting it do its thing. Intellectually, we are so attached to ideas, whether it be a sense of injustice, a sense of unworthiness, a sense of unlovability, a sense of 
you know, uh, a desire for retribution. Ideas that keep us locked in this psychological trap of not being able to just be unconditional to this place and just allow it to do its magic, <laughs> allow it to do its thing. We're not trained, we're not taught how to do that as kids, even as adults. This is the, this is humanity 101. Understanding the mechanism of our humanity is to know that we are by our nature loving beings. And that in order to experience resolve and a continuum of progressive insight about the relevance of this moment. What's the relevance of this moment? Because when we have insight about the relevance of this moment, we know how to act with confidence, be expressive of our creativity, and, and create something that's new and exciting. And then all of a sudden, life has that, that, that zest and joy that we crave so much. It's the thing we yearn for the most. It's just to feel this light, effervescent, joyful freedom in our creative expression, untainted by self-doubt. And so, going back to the, to the question, I, I see us in a really beautiful, unfolding story. And I think that the degree of discernment about how to go about this process of becoming more intimately acquainted with ourself and the experience of love and learning how to stabilize that experience, not just have it on retreat for, the, for a week, <laughs> but to stabilize it in the face of your mother-in-law, <laughs> of your, your stepchildren, your, you know, whatever, your family. There's a beautiful old saying. You want to challenge how enlightened you are? Go and hang out with your family. What we're talking about is, is learning how to discern and distinguish what enables us to stabilize this experience so that regardless of what we're exposed to, we can always reference this deeper knowingness, this deeper wisdom, this deeper intelligence that comes from love. And what I'm proposing, and as do many, many others, is that we require a deliberate and dedicated approach to nurturing this. Meditation is the gateway. Committing to a daily practice of meditation is the greatest kind of act of defiance against all that we know is not right in our world. We are choosing to stop for a moment and no longer involuntarily participate in madness, deliberately turn our attention and senses fully dedicated to experiencing the truth of myself in this moment. There is nothing more important in this time right now than that because that yields our greatest capability to influence and elevate the world 
at the end of the day, all of the problems in the world are human problems, generated by human beings, and therefore are only ever going to be resolved by human beings. And how is it that we resolve human problems? Is by elevating ourselves into the status of embodied solution. What is the embodied solution? Somebody that is certain about their nature, that has within them a coherent flow of insight generated by an intimate relationship with love. In order to cultivate this, we must be deliberate and we must be strategic. And I position myself as like a coach of that sport. That's, that's, you know, if people go, what do you do? I just, you know, I'm, I'm the guy in your corner to, you know, make sure that, you know, you just stay here. Stay here. All the answers are here. You know, let go of the tendency to, to, to operate from the thinking mind. Stop trying to strategize your way out of this situation. Take full responsibility for your pain. Accept it. Embrace it. Allow your innate intelligence to just resolve it by simply accepting the moment as it is. And this is what meditation is. The big question we need to ask ourselves upon reflection of this conversation is, to what extent are we taking time to really embody everything that we're learning through our personal pursuit of improving our lives. We can invest a lot of time and energy into a variety of different practices, modalities, whether it's yoga or um, meditation, uh, reading self-help books. To what extent are we taking the time to really apply what we're learning moment to moment and day to day to enhance our experience of living it's not enough to just kind of dabble into something to what extent is it changing the way that we see the world and that we connect with the world and the more we ask this question i think that will be a key driver in seeing an acceleration in sophistication of the wellness industry and also the impact that it's going to have on every other market in the world Big shout out to our team for producing such a wonderful show. Our show producer, Trevor Exter, Sean Tomlin, music composition by Ali Lieberman, Justine Bloom for sitting in the hot seat and bringing up something really important for us to consider, all the team at One Giant Mind, and finally, Andrea Stern for allowing us to record our show in her beautiful studio in downtown New York City. If in this episode you felt inspired to want to learn meditation, there's two really great ways that we can recommend. Right now you can download the One Giant Mind app and learn with our 12-step course. But the most potent way to learn is with a teacher. We recommend that you go to the One Giant Mind website, onegiantmind.com, that's the numerical one, giantmind.com, and search out one of our certified teachers. Now, if you're feeling called to become a meditation teacher, be sure to check out the One Giant Mind Meditation Teacher Training Academy. More than ever, we need expertly trained teachers to step out into the world to meet the demand of the growing number of people seeking a simple and effective way to learn how to practice meditation. We hope that you can join us for the next episode.
Thank you.